one. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today we're going to be talking about the presidential race. I know, like other people, but believe me, it's not going to be like other people. <laughs> we, we talk on this show unlike what you hear in the mainstream media. Um, we tell it like it is, uh, kind of like Donald Trump. Today we're talking about the presidential race not over till the fat lady sings. And, um, you know, yes, you've been inundated in the media with things about the election, and when you think it, the actual election besides the primaries, the real ultimate election is months and months away. Um, we still have months and months of this to look forward to. And today, um, you know, at, like most days, there uh, it goes from the sublime to the ridiculous. Um, the ridiculous, I guess, in some ways of looking at it, um, are the fact, is the fact that uh, there was an arrest today of the ice cream kings, Ben and Jerry. They were arrested. Now, who would want to arrest Ben and Jerry? Come on, that's Americana. But they were arrested for protesting in Washington. And then, of course, we have the latest tempest in a teapot for Donald Trump. The media is so against Donald Trump, it is unbelievable. And let me just um, say right away, uh, in full disclosure here, um, I am planning on voting for Donald Trump, both in the primaries and in the um, national elections, because I'm confident, or hopeful at least, that he will be on the ballot uh, in the, when it's the real election, the final election. Um, so, you know, every day the, uh, the media tries to find something to um, turn into a tempest. Um, and with the first there was Corey Lewandowski, the battery, the alleged battery charge, or the charge, it was a charge, but it was for alleged battery, uh, by Michelle Fields, and she was just looking for her 15 minutes of fame. I mean, of course it's reasonable to um, try to stop someone from pulling at the, tugging at the sleeves or otherwise accosting a presidential candidate, uh, but she got her 15 minutes of fame, and fortunately that case was thrown out. Um, now today, uh, there, the tempest was that he was talking about, uh, he wanted to talk about 9-11. He was making a very serious speech about 9-11. And unfortunately, um, instead of saying 9-11, he said 7-11. Now, <laughs> you know, um, I can assure you that Trump knows that it's the, the answer, the real story, uh, is 9-11. But um, it's amazing that he knows his own name after having been assailed for months by the media, and, um, uh, you know, I don't really think there's a question as to his actually confusing it. But again, that was fodder for the media. Um, 
I think one of the things, one of the ways that we can tell that he is going to, would be a great president, is that if he, which he will do, managed to come through all of these months, I mean, as he has already been doing, coming through all of these months, being attacked on all sides, not only from his rivals in the party, but just from everybody. Um, and I don't understand, one thing I'll ask my guest, is how it is, uh, I thought that the media, the mainstream media, media at least, um, was supposed to be unbiased, and um, there was supposed to be equal time, and all of that kind of good American stuff. But somehow or other, um, media outlets from CNN to the New York Times to just all kinds of outlets have found ways to um, to find fault with Trump and to try to make him look ridiculous. I mean, granted, he does kind of do some things sometimes that you know makes it not that hard. But what's great about him, besides his acumen, his knowledge, his wisdom, and so on, is that even though you know you may think he's he is grandiose at times, but he is real, and you can't say that for the other candidates. He tells you what he really believes. He doesn't um, pussyfoot around things. Some people may not like and obviously didn't like uh, his telling them what he thought. But you, 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 what you, you see what you, what you get. What you see is what you get. And um, I think that would be very disarming when he has to deal with world leaders. And whatever it is that, um, you know, okay, he's not a lifelong politician, but whatever it is, the things that he needs to know that he doesn't know already, he certainly would be able to, just as he has done in his business that has, uh, that has garnered billions, um, he would surround himself with the people who do know about whatever the issue is. Well, without further ado, I will um, introduce you to my first guest because he knows a lot more about this than I do. And um, his name is Ed Martin. He is the president of the Eagle Forum. He is an expert on the rules of conventions because one of the things uh, I want to ask him is to explain the rules of conventions and what is going to happen. You know, it's kind of a... It's really going to become wild, I think, when the Republican National Convention happens. Um, and, and what are the rules, and, and you know, can they be changed? Um, Ed is also a career politician and a political commentator. He's a lawyer. He has advanced degrees in medical ethics and philosophy. Um, he was awarded postgraduate fellowships. He has served as the chairman of the Missouri Republican Party, and um, he has been on the um, Republican uh, National Committee, a member of the committee, and so obviously he is an expert on um, what, 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 just, what happens there and what probably is going to happen at the upcoming one. He's also, he also was chief of staff for the Missouri governor, Matt Blunt, and uh, having run for office himself, um, he uh, knows, knows what that feels like. So, Ed, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be with you. That's a nice introduction. Well, um, tell us, what do you, well, first of all, what was it like for you as um, being on the Republican National Committee? Yeah. You know, it's a little bit like, I think for conservatives and, and for a certain type of 
I don't know, fa- person, man, brought up like I was, you expect to get to certain places and be impressed. You know, you walk in, I remember I could picture it, walking into the first RNC meeting, there's 168 members, I was, I don't know, I guess I was 42 or 3, but I felt like, wow, here I am, this is the governing body of the, the party of Lincoln and Reagan and all, and you get in there and it turns out they're all just like us, and sometimes they're impressive, and sometimes they're pathetic, and sometimes they're greedy, and sometimes they're altruistic, and so it was very interesting. I think the thing I kept raising my hand saying over and over again, and I, I don't want to sound like I'm, uh, I was too, you know, kind of, uh, uh, you know, much of a seer into the future, but I kept saying, the system seems really rigged. I mean, you know, huh. I remember at the second meeting I was there, I said to someone, why does Iowa get to go first? I'm from Missouri. Why can't we go first sometimes? Why are they so special? And, and after the, it was a members-only meeting, 168 members, they'd clear the staff, they cleared everyone. Someone came up to me from Iowa, and these are, the Iowa committee man and woman and the chairman, you know, there are three members from every state and from six territories. That's how you get to 168. Uh-huh. And so the woman comes up to me, she's lovely, conservative. She said, hey, Ed, relax. Iowa's good for us all. It gets a conservative picked. And I was like, yeah, but why? I mean, 125,000 Iowans caucus. We spent $150 million in Iowa in the Republican primary and the Democrat caucuses. And, and why is that happening? And no one really had an answer. It's kind of like, that's how it is. And you can see the fruit of that's how it is, is a system that is not only inefficient, it's illogical, and it feels to a lot of people like a rigged system. I think, you know, uh, Trump's new campaign aide, Paul Manafort, said it well. It's not the fact that you're playing by the rules and winning delegates. It's that there's a system that's set up that says, spend millions of dollars and hundreds of hours knocking on doors in Missouri, and there'll be a winner. Donald Trump won. And yet when you go to actually allocate the delegates, who you work for, knocking doors, spending money, doesn't actually get the delegates. Like, it doesn't make sense. It's a system that is broken and inefficient. And the truth is it, like everything else, the truth in it, like everything else, no, it's not fair. The truth, like in most things, is it's all about money. Hmm. The people who make big money on politics these days love primaries because they spend millions and millions on radio, TV, consultants, staff, and then they move on to the next race and the next race and the next race. And we, the people, are left here looking up going, wait, it doesn't seem like you really care about our opinion at all. And the system is breaking down, and that's where we are. Wait, okay, so the people, why, who are the people who want to spend the money or get the money? Well, it's easy. There's, there's three sets of people that want to get the money and spend the money. The first group of people is the media, who loves a controlled yeah. environment where they can go to Iowa and go to the same 50 hotels, and they can have tens of millions of dollars spent on TV ads, radio yeah. ads, print. Okay. The second group is the political consultant class, who has figured out that if you place a TV buy for a million dollars in Iowa, and you're the person who pur- purchases it, you get a mm. 10% cut. in your pocket. It's a great deal. And the third group, though, the most important group, is the the establishment, the people who want the system to stay the way it is. So they are the ones that will get the money from donors and others to spend the money in this system. And so Jeb Bush was supposed to be the standard bearer, not because they love Jeb, but because Jeb was acceptable to the establishment and could raise oodles of money. And that was supposed to wash out Guys like Polenti four years ago, and Walker this time, and Rand this time. And that Jeb raised $150 million within three months. It was supposed to be a message that, hey, that's mm. cool, because we can weed out the Huckabees, 
the Santorums, the conservatives, by having them be drowned in money. And that was the system. Now it's on its head because of Cruz and Trump both being able to shatter that system, but that's the system. Huh. So, okay. So when, and each state has a different system for how many delegates, I mean, if somebody wins, like in some states, they win all the delegates, and in some yep. states, they win a proportion of the delegates. Correct. Each, so each of the 50 states, so what happens is after, uh, each of the 50 states by October 1st of the year before the election, so October 1st of 2015, you have to submit to the RNC your state's rules on how you're going to do it. And you have pretty wide open freedom. North Dakota does not do anything other than selects delegates who are unbound and can go there and do whatever they want. Some states, you have to, New Hampshire, for example, Trump had to submit 20 names of delegates that he would pick if he won. And so did Cruz and so did whoever. And when Trump won 15 delegates, he had to take off his list that he submitted ahead of time. So some places you run. Washington, D.C., you run on the ballot as a Trump guy or as a, as a, as a Cruz girl or whatever. So it depends on the state, and that, 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 that is what sort of Reince and everybody means when they say, well, it's up to the states, they can set it however they want, and they, um, and they do it last year, on October 1st. So it is true, you have fair warning of a system. The problem is, what they're missing is that the rules of, of the, the, every state, although different, are, are mirror in certain things. For example, almost every state has the person bound for the first ballot to whoever won their primary, whether it's by congressional district or, or, or statewide. That's why when Cruz is actually gaining delegates that are favorable to him, he knows they'll have to vote for Trump or Ruby or whoever on the first mm. ballot. It's the second ballot that matters. And so, but within that, there's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of wiggle room. There's a lot of questions. You know, sometimes people go to the convention and they don't show up. They, they get sick. They die. They go home. Mm. So an alternate is placed. Is the alternate going to vote the same way? Now, mm. the roll call that Paul Ryan is supposed to call it is often delivered by the chairman of the party. And in 1976, the chairman of the party, he was a Missourian, actually, who had moved to Mississippi, Clark Reed, he had flipped Mississippi for Ford, and Ford won the nomination. That's 76. So there's a lot of power here. And again, for the people in the, in the pews, as we say, the people in the, in, on the couch, as you'd say, looking up, they're saying, wait, I just worked my tail off knocking doors in New Hampshire, yeah. and yet you're going to get there and tell me that suddenly a few thousand people are going to change the whole direction? I'm not saying either system is right. I'm saying to do one and make it seem like it will work and then betray them is the ultimate sort of uh, kind of indication of a broken system, if not yes. a corrupt system. Yes. So, okay, so what do you think is going to be happening um, at this year's convention? How can... Well, yeah, I, I have a couple. Of, Trump yeah, win or what's going to happen? I mean, you know, there's all these stories about Cruz whining and dining delegates. I mean, I'm sure they're both probably whining and dining delegates, but how do they win? Um, yeah, this is um, the thing is that um, it's hard to predict exactly what's going to happen. I just know what's possible. I mean, remember, everyone thinks that the rules of the party are already set. It's not true. The rules of the party and the convention will be set the day before the convention starts. So I told Ben Carson's campaign last summer, I said, call up the RNC and ask them, what do I have to do to get nominated for president? And they'll say, Rule 40 says that you must receive a uh, majority of the permanently seated delegates from eight states to be placed in a nomination. And after they say that to you, say, but doesn't Rule 40 expire on July 15th, 2016? And they'll answer, yes. 
So, in other words, at the convention, there will be a rules committee that meets, and the first thing they'll do is set the rules for the convention. Huh. And they could, and they could change the all the operating things we've been operating uh, that they've been talking about. You know, majority rule four, they could change them all. Now, they may not change them because of momentum. They may say that would be wrong, and Cruz and Trump's people would revolt. But they could. And so, the first thing that's going to happen is a rules fight, and you're going to see people like Kasich and Rubio and others say. Let us all be placed in nomination so we can have a round of speeches. That will give a reason for their people to celebrate. It'll look like inclusion, but it'll way to mess up the first ballot, which is the goal. But I think the more interesting thing is not the, you know, the Black Lives Matters threatening to send people and protesters. Those are all, to me, leftist tactics. What's more likely is leftist tactics used by conservatives or Republicans is what I'm worried about. And here's the examples. If you see a platform fight in the days before the, uh, the uh, convention over gay marriage, then you'll know the fix is in. Because if you get conservatives fighting against moderates over marriage, you're splitting the party. In 2012, Romney's guys walked in the room and they said to the platform committee, look, we don't want to fight about marriage. We don't want to fight about anything. Take the platform, make it as conservative as you want, because we just want you guys to get along. Okay? Very, everybody good? So, and then they walked out. And so... Mm-hmm. You're going to see, if you see a fight over marriage, if you see the, the progressives in there, and they've, they've, they're spending millions of dollars to do this and get in there, then you'll know Trump and Cruz are at risk. The next thing you'll see is I suspect you'll see real attacks, the sort of last bastion of attacks. You know, Trump, they'll, they'll come up with something that happened to Trump or Cruz, girlfriends, whatever it'll be. They will be. It won't be that they'll announce that we don't want Trump or Cruz. They will make them toxic for the general Republican populace. Mm. And so that people say, well, I think Trump is a straight talk, but, you know, it turns out he's, he's got this or that, and that just he won't work. And so, or Cruz is really, you know, do you see the polls? Cruz can't beat anybody, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And that will be the more likely way that you see things take over. And then I think, um, you know, Romney wants to be nominated, very clear. He's, he's dancing around the edges to try to be nominated. I think, you know, you'll see some others emerge. Walker kind of wants to be considered. I think you'll see these coming forward. And, um, and it, but nobody really knows how they're going to handle it. That's interesting because Romney not that long ago came out, maybe he's been continuing to do it, um, very ferociously against Trump. And clearly it was, um, it was sour grapes. You know, he had, he had had the chance to decide early on whether he wanted to run again, and he said no. And now he was angry that Trump was doing it and was, was ahead. Right. Yeah, uh, that's right. Look, I mean, I think here's the thing, and I would say this. The good news is Hillary's so broken and so terrible that any candidate we have has a chance. Um, so I think that's what you're really seeing. What they don't understand is Romney loses. Paul Ryan loses to, to Hillary. They don't expand the playing field. I mean, what we have now, whether you like it or not, is a populace, a, a national populace that is fixated on the cultural shift embodied by immigration, rampant immigration, and lack of assimilation, and, and American jobs going overseas. And the only two candidates that have captured that to some extent, Trump's really the one, but I think Cruz has embodied it too to some extent. So that's why those two guys together always have 60%, and they're going to. And so the question becomes not if they try to swap somebody out with a fresh face. Karl Rove said, we might need a fresh face. Now, uh-huh. in, in, in 1880, they called it a dark horse. That was when Garfield got plucked from the side as a dark horse. This year it's a fresh face. Well, if they do a fresh face, I think you're, you're pretty much seeing the end of the Republican Party. Um, mm. I think it would just splinter there, and we would have a new political framework going forward. What about if uh, Trump 
um, chose Cruz as his vice president, assuming Cruz would go along with that. Well, I look. I think that's a that's what that's the kind of deal making that has to happen, and people may may reject that or get nervous or find it unpalatable. That's the facts. I mean, you know, the the book that Doris Kearns Goodman wrote. Uh, you know, uh, what is it called? A, a team of rivals. You know, you. You know, Obama picking Hillary. These people didn't like each other. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I think that there's a moment where you're going to have to say, okay, for for the good of the country and for your own career, you know, um, let's see if we can merge these things. Now, I mentioned 1880. 1880 is my favorite convention to talk about. It's in Chicago. Three guys come into the into the convention, deadlocked. Uh, U.S. Grant, former president, Secretary of Treasury Sherman from Ohio, and and Senator Blaine, the former Speaker of the U.S. House, who's from Maine. And they just go hammer and tongs. 34 ballots. It gets vicious. U.S. Grant's a drunk, and, and Blaine's a bigot, and Sherman is corrupt, and all this crazy talk, right? And by the time it's done, the, the general body cannot even stand the names. They can't, they can't even mm. cut a deal. Mm. And so the deal gets cut with the number two for, for Senator uh, for Sherman, which was uh, Garfield, and the number two for uh, U.S. Grant was Senator Conklin of New York, and he put Chester Arthur in. And so one of the things about the toxicity of the Cruz-Trump fight is they may be putting themselves in a position where it's harder for their f- followers mm. to understand what's happening. But I think we need a, you know, as Phyllis, Phyllis Schlafly, my boss, did an interview, or did a video yesterday, and she said, look, it's the grassroots versus the kingmakers. Don't forget. And Trump and Cruz are on the side, generally, of the grassroots. Yes. And, and we've got to remember that. Yes, I mean, that's been the whole problem all along, that the people that you mentioned, the established um, leaders of the party, you know, that's, they're looking at them like, who are these upstarts? How dare they think that they could actually be our nominee? Correct. Correct. That's right. And, and again, the most important thing is, for our listeners, you know, the next, your listeners, the next um, president is going to appoint three or four justices on the Supreme Court. It, they're either going to address the immigration problem or the country's going to end as we know it. And so the question becomes, how do you win? And not just how you win, you will give the worst person, but how do you win and what do you have to do? At a certain point, we have to acknowledge Hillary slash Bernie slash Joe Biden, whoever it is, is the enemy in this fight. And mm-hmm. look, that the Electoral College, because of immigration, among other things, is stacked against us. They start with 242 electoral votes. They win New York, California, New Jersey, they win them all at the Democrat stronghold. We have to win in places like Pennsylvania, Ohio, Florida, Wisconsin, and thread the needle. And if we end up killing ourselves over the summer by tearing each other to pieces, it'll be very difficult to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, really, when you look at it, even with the Electoral College, it, 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 the... Um, the the system, in a sense, it, it, you know, you can see that say that the system is rigged in in a lot of different ways. Like it doesn't seem to be, you know, what what's the like more of the popular vote? Why, why do some votes count more than uh, some other votes? I mean, I think we should start from scratch to some degree. Yeah, I mean, look, I think um, here's another tip for your listeners. Uh, at the meeting of the convention, the rules committee will set the rules of the convention. I mentioned that earlier. They will also set the rules of the Republican Party going forward for four years. Mm-hmm. And so the rules of the next sort of playing field for the next election will be set in uh, July in Cleveland. And one of the things I argue on as RNC is we ought to change up the way this party's run. We ought to have a party that has, for example, closed primaries. Uh, you know, why would the New York Yankees take a vote on who their manager should be and let Mets fans vote? You know, that's what we do when we have uh, an open, open primary. So why don't we have a, pri- a system where you have to be a Republican to vote in a Republican yeah. primary? Or, or why don't we have a system where our chairman, 
Reince Priebus is not elected by 168 insiders, but elected by the whole convention. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a whole bunch of reforms you could do that I think the public would look up and say, that looks... By the way, Democrats are even more corrupt. Their their system is just basically run your primaries and caucuses, and we don't care what the results are because we have superdelegates who are just going to decide to do whatever they want. Mm -hmm. I mean, so they're at least up front. They're transparent in how corrupt they are. We pretend your vote matters. And then we go and, and steer the thing a different way. So we could reform the Republican Party. And, and by the way, I've had you know, leftish Republicans who agree the system is so broken, a reform of the party rules to have a much more you know, a vibrant party would be a, a, a good thing. And you may find common ground for that. Now, you won't find common ground for that kind of forward thinking if people are still gouging each other's eyes out over you know, mm-hmm. gay marriage and cruising Trump and everything else. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, a more realistic or maybe more practical uh, combination would be uh, Trump and Kasich. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, I think, um, right, I mean, I think that there's a moment where the, the, the Donald Trump people, I once asked Phyllis Schlafly, I've not been a polit- uh, presidential ca- you know, expert, I've, I've only sort of worked a little bit of from afar, and I asked Phyllis once, not maybe six months ago, I said, like, we, actually, we, she liked Walker at the beginning, she thought Walker was uh, yes, so battle-tested. yes. And she thought Walker, and I said to her once, Walker feels light. And she said, that's okay, Ed. She said, at a certain point, they start to fill the role. And, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think at a certain point, Trump can start to fill a presidential role. And at that time when he says, and therefore I want this person as a VP, it will feel Mm-hmm. Norm, it'll feel effective. Right now, I'm not sure I would understand, how, you know, after he belittles everybody, you know, how he picks <laughs> someone. So, but I, I think we're, you know, part of it's going to be just doing it. When someone does it and acts like a leader, people will say, oh, it's a leader, and we're, we'll go forward, you know? Well, I, I would imagine that you agree with, I hope you agree with what I was saying at the beginning about how all of the um, battles and being assailed by, the, by, by almost all the media, you know, I think that Trump has proven his stamina and his presidentialness <laughs> um, by, by weathering all of that. Yeah, look, I think he's been one of the most remarkable uh, communicators and instinctive political people. Um, you know, you mentioned I was chief of staff to the governor. I tell people, when you're a chief of staff or you're a governor, you, you make a lot of decisions every day. You make dozens and dozens of decisions. You get better at making decisions because you do them. You know, it's like, and so when you're a CEO like him and when you're a public person like he was on TV, you get mm-hmm. really good at making decisions and communicating. He's a very capable man. Uh, I think what I mean is that there's a point where I can't imagine Trump right now saying Ted Cruz as my VP because he's been calling him right. Ryan Ted and everything else, right? right? right. But there's a moment where I think he can sort of transcend that and say, okay, we were in the fray, like Reagan did with George H.W. Uh, uh, Bush. You know, they, they mm-hmm. were not pals. They, they fought, you know, uh, hammer and tongs. And, so, and then mm-hmm. at a certain point, Reagan said, I, I want to do this. And so, you know, there's a, there's a um, you know, Lyndon Johnson and, and JFK, we're in a different world with social media and all these things mm-hmm. in terms of how people feel it. But I think that's what I mean. No, no, I'm, look, Trump's been an extraordinary uh, candidate. I just think there's, there's key pivots, moments coming, and I think he's up to it. I just think we don't quite know yet what they'll be. Mm-hmm. Well, we're coming to the end of this. Uh, I could talk to you for a lot longer, but we're coming to the end of our segment here. Um, I just want to, uh, well, first of all, I want to give out the website that people can go to to find out more about the Eagle Forum, which is eagleforum.org, eagle, E-A-G-L-E, forum.org. And um, you can learn more about what the Eagle Forum was about. 
and I'd love to have you on when we have more time and you can talk more about the Eagle Forum. I actually had Phyllis Shapley on the show a while back, um, but I really appreciate your coming on and explaining all of these things. You know, you mentioned something uh, in passing about Cruz and the women. There was this whole uh, edition that I read, you probably saw it too, from the National Enquirer, and yes, as much as people want to put that down, um, you know, it did lay out... <laughs> so to speak. Um, I think it was five women who, uh, you know, and they, they wouldn't do that unless there was uh, some uh, fire behind the smoke. So it's, I was kind of amazed that more wasn't made of that, but perhaps there's still time at the convention. Well, Ed Martin, um, vice, pre- vice, Ed Martin, president, not vice president, president of the Eagle Forum, um, thank you so much for uh, being on Dr. Carroll's couch. And um, obviously we need more people like you who have seen voices um, to help lead the party. So thank you. Well, thank you. And by the way, let me just say, in case people want to reach me directly, ed yes. at eagleforum.org is my email address. They can always just send an email to ed at eagleforum.org. I'll be happy to be in touch. Okay, great. Well, thank you again. Thank you. Uh, Take care. Okay. Again, that was Ed Martin. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. We're going to be back with another guest. Uh, taking, um, basically talking about some of the same things, but taking a different perspective. Um, when we come back, you're listening, as I started to say, to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you about the presidential race, which is not over till the fat lady sings. Um, we've been talking, and I've said in the, at the very beginning of the show, and I'll repeat it in order to have full transparency here, that I am a, <laughs> an avid Trump um, supporter. Uh, I think one of, the ways, one of the reasons I like him, besides thinking that he would do the best job, uh, hands down, is that um, I identify with him. I kind of say whatever I think, too. <laughs> 
And that's one of the things that I think is, st- makes him stand out. Again, besides the fact that he has the best stance on terrorism, the best plans, and the best plans on immigration. Uh, obviously, he knows what to do with our economy since he became a billionaire himself. I mean, this really should um, be a no-brainer. But unfortunately, because he's not part of the established Republican Party, he's having kind of a hard time of it, especially with the media. Um, my guest now in this, for this half of the show is Wayne Allen Root. He is a politician, an author, a television producer, and political commentator. And he is planning, uh, or I should say at least exploring a run as a Republican for the U.S. Senate in Nevada in 2016. So, Wayne, welcome to the show. Hello, Dr. Carroll. Everything you said is good except for the last one. <laughs> no no U.S. Senate run for me. I'm, I'm way too busy. I was exploring that uh, over the last year, but I'm not running for U.S. Senate. We've got a great candidate here who's a brigadier general in the National Guard and a doctor and a United States congressman, Joe Heck, and he'll be the uh, U.S. Senate candidate Republican in, in uh, Nevada. And I'm a little busy uh, you know, giving speeches, writing books, and, and producing TV series to, to worry about U.S. Senate right now. Ah, so I'm I just helping my good friend Donald Trump. Trump get elected president, and we'll go from there. Okay. Um, I guess I, I don't know where I, I, I read that maybe in an old bio or something. I'm not sure where I read that, but okay. Yeah, well, okay. you might have read it in lots of media articles, lots of places oh, yeah. have talked about me running for U.S. Senate, but, yeah. but I decided against it. It's a full-time job. I mean, it's like you know trying to run for president you know, while you're producing Celebrity Apprentice. Well, you can't do that. You've got to give up Celebrity Apprentice yeah. and be a full-time presidential candidate. Same thing with U.S. Senate. And I just wasn't in a position right now to, to give everything up that I've worked so hard to build. I got one heck of a, of a little mini TV and, and book empire and, and speech empire, and I'm busy doing all that. But I have given a lot of time to help elect my good friend Donald Trump, and, and uh, I've probably become his chief defender in the media. I spent so much time in the media, you might think I was the one running for president, but, <laughs> but I'm just defending and championing Donald. So Well, great. Um, and let me also mention that one of the – you are a best-selling author for several books, and um, your latest book, his latest book, my guest, Wayne Allen Root, is um, The Power of Relentless, uh, Seven Secrets to Achieving Mega Success, Financial Freedom, and the Life of Your Dreams. And it looks great. Well, yeah, and it's, it's actually uh, it's my 10th book, and I've had four national bestsellers. This one was number one in the country uh, on the business charts in, uh, in August, but it's my first ever book translated into a different language. It, it got oh, wow. bought by the big, biggest publisher in Japan, got translated to Japanese. There is, but interestingly enough, there is no word for relentless in the Japanese language, even though they're a very relentless race of people. I think extremely relentless. They're yeah. pretty much what my book's about. But that, that word has no exact translation in Japanese. They changed the name of the book in Japan, which just came out three weeks ago, to The Indomitable Art of Success, which I think is a great name, The Indomitable hmm. Art of Success. I'm very hmm. proud that uh, you could find my book on the shelves in America and in Japan. That's great. All right. Well, let's talk about Donald Trump. I'm, I'm, I'm get worried about the man. I mean, hopefully he'll win in New York. And today it was fabulous that former Mayor Rudy Giuliani endorsed him. That was good news. Um, but what I'm worried about, and what I was talking to my first guest about, was the Republican National Convention. Um, you know, which he has been calling rigged, and which, after you know, hearing more details about it, it certainly, if not rigged, certainly is unfair and meant to keep the status quo of the establishment rather than the best man wins. 
Well, yeah, I mean, you're right to be worried, Carol. There's no question. All of us are worried. No one's quite sure how this is going to play out. I'd, I'd be willing to bet you money that Donald Trump, if, if you could get him alone and in private and said nobody's listening, are you worried? He'd say, you're damn right, I'm worried. He doesn't know. Nobody knows how this is going to play out. Um, I, I do think the good news is there are three roads to victory, and they all lead to Donald Trump. doesn't mean that he can't blow it somehow. doesn't mean the establishment can't somehow cheat him. But I think most probably these three roads all lead to Donald, number one. He's the only candidate they can get to 1237. It's, it's mathematically impossible for Ted Cruz or John Kasich really to get there at this point. So only Donald could get there, and there's a chance he can get there. I think it's probably a 50-50 chance at best. So, you know, it's kind of a roll of the dice at this point. So that's number one. Number two is if he gets within 100, 150 delegates of 1237, and there's maybe two or three weeks to go, you know, maybe California is coming up next, California primary, and you're almost at the end. Well, then he has to go and start negotiating with either Marco Rubio or John Kasich. I would prefer Kasich because you can't win the election without um, Ohio. If Kasich was his vice president, Ohio is his. And so I think if he goes mm-hmm. and, and gets an endorsement from either of those two and they agree to be his VP, um, he gets their delegates and he's over the top. And he gets mm-hmm. to 1237. That's number two if he doesn't reach 1237. Then number three if he doesn't reach 1237 and we go to an open convention and things look bad, which is ludicrous because the entire Republican Party, in my opinion, would be destroyed, decimated, wiped out off the face of this earth. There would be no more Republican Party if he went in only 100 short. Uh, you know, the majority of states were his, the majority of voters were his, the majority of delegates were his, and they vote someone else, and particularly someone who wasn't even on the ballot, didn't even run. That would be the end of the Republican mm-hmm. Party. But they're so dumb, they may try that. That's how dumb I think the establishment is. I have no respect for them at all. I've met them. They're all clueless idiots, and all they care about is themselves and the biggest corporations, the multinational corporations that pay their lobbying fees and their lawyer fees and their strategist and consultant fees. You know, it's all bought and paid for. And so, you know, whatever happens to them, nothing could be bad enough as far as I'm concerned. So if that comes to pass and he's about to lose... And they're not going to give it to either him or Ted Cruz, which I believe would be the case. See, they're going to double-cross Ted Cruz, too. Ted right now is delusional. He actually believes the establishment's on his side. Well, hmm. they're only on his side to stall Trump. And as soon as they get to convention, they're going to cheat both him and Trump. They hate him more than they hate Trump. So, in my opinion, as soon as you yeah. see that they're going to give it to someone else, all Donald has to do is walk over to Ted and say, Hey, you and I control 80% of the delegates. You're my VP. Let's screw all of them, and that's it. They win. So all three roads lead to Donald. If he handles this correctly, he still should be the nominee. Yes, I think, you know, it's true, because he was saying that Cruz was a Trojan horse put out there by by the establishment of the party. And, and yes, I agree with you that Cruz (laughs) didn't seem to have, hasn't seemed to have gotten that message. No, and they hate each other's guts, but in the end, politics makes strange bedfellows. You know, yeah. you're the psychiatrist, and so you're the psychology expert, and so you must realize that no matter how much you hate Ted Cruz, no matter how much Ted Cruz hates you, if you're Donald Trump, in the end, the two you should embrace, and, and you sweep to victory, and you screw over the entire establishment, yeah. and you get the last laugh. So in the end, it, you know, either he's going to do it himself, or he's going to team with, uh, with Kasich or Rubiella, or he's going to team with Cruz at the very end, and they're going to embrace, and they're going to screw over the establishment that set out to destroy both of them. I think either way, Donald, all roads lead to Donald, as they say. Well, you know, well, have you been? Are you? You said you were um, that he's a friend, and and what have you been? Um, do you feel comfortable talking about what you've been doing to try to help him win? 
Yeah, well, listen, what, what happened was I never knew him in my life, and then last spring I wrote a commentary. I'm a workout maniac. You know, I work out two hours a day in the gym. That's what gives me the energy to be who I am, and all my success I owe to, you know, healthy diet, lifestyle, working out, and vitamin supplements. I pop 100 vitamins a day. I'm Mr. Health. Oh. And so I was in my gym working out on the treadmill, and I can't work out without watching an HBO movie. You know, I can only work out two hours of this two-hour movie on. Otherwise, uh-huh. I don't know how people jog and look around uh-huh. at cars going by. I have no idea. So I'm watching a movie, and what comes up on HBO is uh, Bullworth, 1998 movie starring Warren Beatty as a uh, politician running for U.S. Senate who basically goes kind of crazy and decides to say whatever's on his mind, never lie, and tell the truth, no matter how much it hurts people's feelings and offends people. And first people are shocked, and they hate him, and then they start to fall in love with him, and then they realize it's in their best interest to hear the truth, and he wins U.S. Senate, and he's the leading candidate for President of the United States, and the movie ends. And so I, I sat there, and I said, wow, that's Donald Trump. Yeah. That's exactly Donald Trump. So I wrote a commentary, Trump is Bullworth, and he hadn't even announced he was running yet, and, huh. and he sent me a note the next day. And he said, uh, you know, I'd never got a note from him in my life. He looked me up, I guess. He found how to reach me. He went to my website, and he says, uh, Wayne, that's wonderful, brilliant, love it, Donald. And I thought, well, that's cool. And then I wrote another commentary, and he answers it again. I wrote another one. He answers it again. I wrote another one. I start getting notes from him regularly. And then he starts asking me to give him some advice on on tax policy because I'm a tax guy. That's my main thing in life. I'm a businessman. I'm a capitalist. I I understand how taxes are destroying this country and destroying this economy. Mm -hmm. And Obamacare is destroying this country. So I've, I've tried to give him a lot of advice over the last year. I don't know how much he takes or doesn't. It's not like we're best friends in the world. And he calls me back and says, Wayne, I'm taking your advice. I send it to him, he says thank you, and then he does what he wants to do. Sometimes it sounds like uh, my advice that I gave him, and sometimes it doesn't. So, you know, he has his own mind, he decides what he wants to do, and sometimes I'm glad to help, and other times I guess he ignores it. But I, I feel like I'm playing a small part in helping him, and, and uh, each of his events in Las Vegas, whenever he speaks here, I'm, I'm chosen as the opening speaker. Uh, mm-hmm. He's been here three times, and I've been the opening speaker all three times for Donald and the Master of Ceremonies. And, uh, and, and whenever I can, I'm in the media trying to, uh, to push Donald Trump. I was on Fox News four times in a week defending Donald. I'm on Newsmax TV, always defending Donald. I've been on Japanese TV, Israeli TV, BBC World, and uh, Canadian TV defending Donald Trump and championing his causes. So uh, I'm, I'm doing the best I can. Sometimes I think I'm on TV and in the media more than he is. <laughs> and that's hard. <laughs> that's hard. Well, I do. I do about twelve hundred radio interviews a year. So, I mean, my main thing is radio interviews like this one, and where you actually have some time. You know, TV, mm-hmm. you get two yeah. minutes, three minutes. Yes, right. But on radio, you could talk for a half hour about why you like Donald Trump. And so, you know, look, he is relentless. I wrote the book, The Power of Relentless. Who is the perfect example other than me, Donald Trump? You know, there's a whole chapter in my book about the most relentless people in the world, the Jewish people. And I think they're the most successful people in the world because they're relentless. You cannot stop them. It's more important than brain power or, or education, which is important to Jews. But, but really, in the end, it's about being relentless. You just have to grab hold of an idea. Yeah, never let go until you get to the finish line. No matter how many times people hit you with baseball bats, shoot you and stab you, you just keep going and you crawl across the finish line and you win. And that's the Jewish people, and that's Israel, and that's the Jewish people of New York. And Donald's the most non-Jewish Jew I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. I mean that only the nicest way. Yeah. Donald is so Jewish, it's scary. He must have Jewish in his, in his background. I, I, Donald I is just relentless. He's a relentless businessman. Same thing. As a, as a Jewish New Yorker, originally born and bred New Yorker. And me too. Um, my, me too, by the way. 
I, I have thought that all along. There must be something. There is There's that. a Jewish gene in Donald, trust me. But, <laughs> but, but when you think about uh, you know, anyone I've ever met in business who's Jewish, um, they're relentless. They just don't let go. They're like a shark who never lets go. I'm someone who, if I have an idea, I'll call you 150 times until you say no to me, and then I say, you know, you know what no is? It's just the start of a long conversation. So get ready for uh-huh. me to keep coming. You know, and that's the attitude that makes you money in the business world. You cannot get rich without that attitude. Uh, and also, the other attitude is to be a risk taker. You've got to be a gambler, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm a riverboat mm-hmm. gambler and a gunslinger, I like to say. And, and I take chances all the time. If you're a person who wants to, you know, just take a job, work for somebody, collect a safe paycheck, you will never be paid what you're worth because only the boss gets rich. That's just life. That's capitalism. You want to get rich, stop complaining, quit your job, take your life savings, and start your own business. But the person who puts up the money is the one who gets rich in every company in America, and the people who work for him or her don't get rich. It's the way it goes. So, you know, Donald Trump owns, I own, I don't want to work for somebody else. That's also a very Jewish trait. And why did that happen? I explained in my book. I think Jews own because they're, they've been hated throughout history right. and persecuted throughout history and, and murdered throughout history, and their property's been stolen, and they learn they can never depend on anyone else. You have to depend on yourself. Yeah. You've got to own. You've got to do it yourself. Don't work for someone else because they'll never do it for you. And also, I think Jews learn that, you know, compared to being persecuted, killed, or gassed, I think investing 100000 in a business is, is really not really that risky. <laughs> that risky it's not right. that scary. That's right. So, you know, some people jump on Harley-Davidson's, and I think the Jewish people take a million bucks, and they take it out of their mattress, and they roll it on a business. They roll the dice on a business. They don't get on a Harley-Davidson or jump out of an airplane. Different kind of risk that doesn't make you rich and might get you killed. The kind of risk you need to take in life is financial risk. You cannot be successful if you play it safe in life. So I'm a gambler. I've always been a gambler. And that's why I like Donald Trump. I hate this argument that's made in the media, and I don't think Donald answers it right, by the way. The argument that he's not a winner because he had several companies that failed. Are you kidding me? I must know 100 men and women who are worth over $100 million. 100. All 100 have failed more than they've ever succeeded. You only need one to succeed. Yeah. I know people who made $100 million off a high-tech company. Since then, they've invested in 30 businesses, and all 30 have failed. Yeah. Who cares? You still got your original $100 million yeah. from the one that worked. I don't yeah. understand where this mentality comes in. Yeah. Everybody fails if you open well, a business. It's tough. Well, you know, the media just keeps trying to find at least one thing every day right. to right. criticize him about, you know, Correct. whether it's Corey Lewandowski and that ridiculous uh, tempest in a teapot, or now they're, today they're making a big deal because he said 9-11 instead of 7 I mean, he said 7 See, I just did it. He said yeah. 7-11 instead of 9-11. Now you get me confused. I know. I've always said 9-11, but he said 7-11. But you know what? First of all, he's 69 years old, and he's talking a 1,000 words an hour, and he's working 16 hours a day running for president, and it's easy to make mistake but second of all my understanding is he didn't make a mistake what was on his mind was there was one particular firehouse in new york 7-eleven where all the people got killed running into Mm -hmm. that building and and he has you know talked about it i think he's been to the funerals and he's met the the uh the widows and uh, of 7-eleven of 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 Mm 9-11 fame Mm -hmm. but of the 7-eleven firehouse so that's an easy mistake to make but Mm -hmm. you know i i think what donald should say about wealth and failure though that's real important carol and you as a person who understands psychology should love this you know, yes, I failed, not even once or twice, many times my businesses have failed, uh, but I am worth $10 billion, so I'd say that overall I've done a pretty good job. <laughs> but at least when I failed, 
I failed with my money. Barack Obama mm. failed every day with your money. Mm. Here's the mm. argument. When Obamacare failed, it's a trillion dollars of your money. And yeah. when he built the failed website that didn't work, it was several billion of your money. It's taxpayer money Obama keeps failing with. And that doesn't take any guts at all to grab other people's money. Donald Trump rolls the dice with his own money. Someone needs to point that out. It's a gigantic point to be made yeah. that, that we have wasted $9 trillion of new debt under Barack Obama. That means he's blown $9 trillion of your taxpayer money. And Donald Trump has yet to lose $1 of my money or yours. He only loses his own. So why should I care? Let him fail all he wants. The person who's failing my money is Barack Obama. And soon, I, I hope not, but soon it could be Hillary Clinton blowing my money. But I, I like private sector guys who blow their own money. Yes, that's a really good point. Um, you know, and then, uh, of course, we have, I mean, you know, the, the Hillary Clinton or uh, Bernie Sanders, I, I mean, that um, those are really sad Sad choices. Sad, you know, that's the best that the uh, Democratic Party had to put up. Um, Hillary, you know, ha- is past it. She she should never have given up uh, running to you know to agree with Obama that she'll be Secretary of State. That was her mistake. And now it's it's kind of too little, too late. And and Bernie Sanders, I mean, you know, talk about Jewish. I would have never thought that I would not vote if. Finally, a Jewish person came up for president. I would have never thought that I wouldn't have voted for him. But his, his ideas, his socialist ideas, and it's not just the, how crazy it is that he's running, but it's all the people who come to his rallies. I mean, all the people who just want to stay home, get, get fed by the government, a socialist state. Um, I, I mean, that's what's really scary, to, to look at all these Americans who are ready to give up the capitalist society and just, um, you know, to, be, to sit back, watch television, eat bonbons, and be fed. Well, I wish, I wish I could explain to people a couple of things. Number one, you know, people call it the Reagan miracle. You know, Jimmy Carter created the worst economy in history, and, and Obama has replicated it and with the exact same policies. And in one minute, it seemed like Ronald Reagan turned it around. How did he do it in one minute? How do you take the worst economy... You know, in in modern history, and one of the worst ever, other than maybe the Great Depression, but it was close. How do you take that and turn it to the greatest recovery ever and the greatest economic expansion ever? And the and in a moment's notice, and the answer is Ronald Reagan did two things: he dramatically cut taxes and he dramatically cut regulations. What does that do? That gives all the people of the world, like me, the risk takers, and like Donald. Um, the the um, what's the word the motivation the incentive the hunger the drive the ambition to go out and start a business because now you know you're keeping eighty percent of your own money instead of giving it all to the government that's what Reagan did overnight he took taxes from seventy percent down to the twenties and he got rid of all the other barriers to entry which is regulations dramatically ripped them to shreds and the next thing you know all that's how you create success it's the eighty twenty rule in business. You know, I've been in sales my whole life, always owning businesses with lots of salesmen. And the 80-20 rule is in effect that the 80 don't matter. Only the top 20% of your salesmen matter. They create all the business. Mm -hmm. The other 80 can come and they can go, and it doesn't matter. The people you take out to dinner, the people you take out to golf, the people whose wives you send flowers on their anniversary and take them on a trip for the weekend, those are your 20 best salesmen. The other 80 don't matter. That's the way the IRS needs to treat America. Only the people who start businesses with all the money are the ones who matter. Without them, there are no middle-class jobs. Without them, America doesn't work. That's what makes America great is the top 20%. And just to show you, I saw the following stat the other day. 45% of Americans pay no income tax of any kind. 
Huh. And the people who make over 100000 a year, six-figure incomes, that's only 16% of all Americans, and they pay 80% of the taxes. Hmm. So there's my 80-20 rule, almost exactly to the dollar. The 16, forget about it, 20%. The top 16% is all that matters. If you reward them and you incentivize them and you, and you literally activate their greed, and in this case, Michael Douglas is right, greed is good, because hmm. if people want to get rich, they will create lots of businesses and lots of jobs and pay lots of taxes, and America works. That's what made America the greatest nation in world history. You've got to take care of the people who start the businesses. And we've had seven and a half long years of a guy who hates business owners and actually had the nerve to say, you didn't build that. Government built it for you. You don't even get credit for your own business, even though you put up all the money and worked 16-hour days for 35 years. You don't get credit for making a million bucks. It's government that built the roads and the sidewalks that you owe the credit for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Obama doesn't understand business, and tyrants like him in communist nations always destroy the economy. And if I could show you Cuba, Venezuela, all over the world, you show me a guy with Obama's attitude and Obama's policies, and the country has gone to hell, and there's toilet paper shortages, and there's yellow water coming out of the faucet. That's Venezuela today. Used to be the envy of South America, and today it's a nightmare. It's a socialist hellhole because they let a guy come along just like Obama named Hugo Chavez with the same policies and the same attitude of Obama. Hate the rich, hate the rich, hate the rich, hate the business owners, take their success away from them. That's what people need to understand, and Donald Trump can turn that all around. Yes, and you know, uh, Obama was sort of like the lead-in to Bernie Sanders. Obama started this, um, you know, and, and start, gave people the impression that this is, this is okay. You know, it's good for the government to be uh, paying your unemployment and all the other welfare. Turning a, He began the, the turn, the transformation of our country into a welfare state, and then some, it's no wonder that someone like Bernie Sanders is picking up, you know, popularity as people who have, uh, who have gotten a taste of it and want to continue it and want to increase it. I just think it's, it's uh, really ignorance. This country has been dumbed down and people don't, you know, young kids don't even understand what socialism is. They have no clue. You've got an Obama who was in Argentina literally giving a speech to young people a month ago. And um, instead, of, instead of tending to a terrorist attack with our allies in Europe, by the way, he was on vacation in Cuba doing the wave at a baseball yeah. game. And then he was yeah. doing the tango in Argentina. And he gave a speech and he said there's no difference between communism and capitalism. Just take what works. And, you know, what nobody pointed out was that capitalism hasn't killed a single person in history on purpose anyway. And communism resulted in 94 million people being murdered in the last century. Barack Obama actually said there's no difference. That's like me saying there's no difference between Adolf Hitler and Ronald Reagan. Just take what works. Really? Mm -hmm. Really? Mm -hmm. One guy murdered lots of people, and the other guy was a great guy. Really? There's no difference in capitalism and a system that murdered 94 million people, and nobody in the media, because they're all on his side, bothered to make a big deal about that statement. God forbid Donald yeah. Trump mentions abortion, and it's the biggest issue in America today, and every woman's supposed to hate him, and the media makes sure of that. But if yeah. Obama says something horrible or makes a terrible faux pas, the media plays it down and makes sure nobody yeah. hears it. Yeah. And that's what's going on today. I mean, that, that was obscene. That really, if nothing else, for his whole presidency, um, has shown where his heart really lay. Um, his, not, uh, his not stopping being at this game and said, while Brussels and, and Europe was falling to terrorists was really obscene. Well, I'm hearing the music. Um, unfortunately, we, that means our, our time is over. I'd love to have you back on. Um, you've made a great, a great, uh, great points. 
And um, I hope people are listening and staying with an open mind. And I certainly hope, and I, I certainly hope your three roads to the White House, uh, one of them uh, works. So thank you very much, Ed Martin. Uh, I'm sorry, Ed Martin. That was my first guest, Wayne Allen. Uh, let me, let me. Um, I want to give out your your website before. Yeah, we let me let me give out context information. So it's root, yeah. the website is Root for America. That's my political website, RootForAmerica.com. All my opinions on video at Root for America because this nation, you know, nobody likes to read anymore. That's why newspapers are going out of business, but they love to watch TV. So all my yeah. opinions are on video at RootForAmerica.com, and uh, my book is The Power of Relentless. The Power of Relentless. And Carol, it was a pleasure to be on anytime. Call me back. We'll do a repeat. Sounds great. Thank, thank you. God you bless. So, thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. I know, um, I know some of you uh, were planning on uh, voting otherwise, and that's okay, but I hope you heard some of this, or all of this, actually, with an open mind. And, uh, and we'll, we'll all have to see what happens in the future. Um, hopefully, in any case, there will be more fairness in the convention, regardless of, of how it turns out. What's important is that you know, everybody's, everybody's vote counts the same. All right, again, thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 